Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to Dynasty As They Want to Be, a podcast where we drill into every episode of the iconic 1980s television series, Dynasty. I'm your host, Derek J. Lang, and with me is my co-host, Kyler K. Jafari. Hello to all you party people. (laughs) Are you doing Elizabeth Taylor at the 1998 (laughs) Golden Globes? (laughs) Well, I heard the Golden Globes were canceled, so... I thought I'd go back in time to one of my own favorite Golden Globe moments. <laughs> Wonder Boys. <laughs> Aaron Brockovich. <laughs> Gladiator. Sunshine. If you don't know what the hell we're talking about, was it the 98 Golden Globes? Did I guess that I right? I believe it was 97, 98. Yeah. Gosh, I don't know. Late 90s, Elizabeth Taylor presented Best Picture and... I don't know if it was pills or booze or liquor. Back surgery, all of the above. <laughs> yeah, some sort of a cocktail. But um, yeah, she had she had trouble. And Dick Clark, RIP, well, RIP to both of them, really, uh, had to come out and help her. And um, yeah. I don't know. I, every now and then I go down to a, a, an Elizabeth Taylor rabbit hole. And I found this years and years and years ago. And then, I don't know, it suddenly popped up in my mind again. And apparently, Jinx Monsoon has made fun of this. Yes, and, famous drag queen so I'm, I'm glad I wasn't the only one that thought it was as, you know, I, I, I'm not going to use the word iconic, but, you know, she she really played it off, though, you know, she she gets the audience with her charm. Oh, yeah. I mean, as she says, I'm new at this. <laughs> <laughs> I usually win them. <laughs> so shady. And the winner is <laughs> Gladiator. All right. Anyway, so we're having one of my most very favorite drinks in the whole wide world. Um, And I'm almost to the point wondering if we've possibly had these on the 
pod before, but I don't know. If well, we- let me describe it to the listeners because this is an audio medium. We're having a cocktail in a tall glass, a couple of ice cubes at the top, a beautiful fresh slice of, is this orange grapefruit? It's mystery citrus plucked from our very own paradisal yard. Oh yeah, we have a lot of citrus trees and we're never sure if they're lemons, limes, clementines, tangerines, or Kumquats, some sort of loquats, mutation of Grapefruit, them. lemon juice, who knows? This and then a bright red cherry on top. So what? What is it? I think so I know. This is this is the French seventy five. This was in a in a, a old Mister Boston cocktail book that I've had. One day I decided I would make it, and it's basically just like a Tom Collins. But instead of the soda water, you use you know sparkling wine or champagne if you dare. And I just think it's the perfect combination of citrus, gin, uh, and and sparkling wine. I mean, it, you've got the bubbles, you've got the brightness of the citrus. It's just a refreshing long drink. I think now, like if you order it, it shows up in a freaking champagne flute, which is always I know it's my old bromide about this drink. It I, somehow it turned into a bachelorette party. Yeah, I see them on menus all the time. I mean, when I was going to places that had menus, but yeah, there. It's, yeah, it's and it's yeah, it's kind of a novelty drink for. Or, you know, bitches who brunch. It's one of those drinks that you know you can get fucked up if you drink, but it's not going to taste like... That's part of the reason why I think it started being served in a champagne flute, because it cuts the drink in half. Because here's the thing, you're talking two ounces of gin, three quarters to one and a half ounces of lemon juice, depending on how tart you like it. And right, you're but... topping it up with at least four to five ounces of champagne, so it's almost two yeah, drinks it's, in a so glass. Yeah, so it's like a Long Island iced tea. There's no yeah, soda but water. Yeah, I don't think most There's... people know the French 75 like that i think they know it this is why the bachelorettes have pounced Mm -hmm. on it because they can drink a bunch of them anything that can come out in champagne flute like that's bachelorette paradise that they love that shit and they can get lit anyway i have a little email quick note that i want to read that addresses something that we've been bringing up the past few episodes i won't read the whole thing just at the the end here so this is from tony friend of the show frequent letter writer not the gardener Tony, but maybe that's why he calls himself Tony. Anyway. Oh, I would love that if the gardener was secretly like the Tony that writes in. (laughs) Wait, our gardener? Yeah. Oh, no, we know our gardener's name. You think our gardener listens to the show? That's so embarrassing. I would love that. (sighs) Anyway. He solves the mystery of why Kirby has the clock tower next to her in the opening credits. Do you know this? I don't know. Is this because the mystery is revealed later in the storyline? Yes. Okay. So, by the way, Kirby's clock tower or carriage house is part of Fioli, you know, which is where Dynasty is mm-hmm. sat. Or is it Filoli or Fioli? I never know. I always say it wrong. It's Filoli house, I believe. Filoli. And can be seen in the aerial shots. It represents Kirby in the opening credits as it's where Joseph lived when Kirby was growing up. Wait, so Joseph was like ringing the clock bells like Quasimodo? I (laughs) I guess so. We find out that revelation in the Dynasty reunion, but you have to get through several seasons to figure that one out. God, and after this season. I hope that clears things up. Well, it does very much. Thank you, Tony. Although that does seem like some revisionist history on the part of the writers that they waited until the Dynasty reunion to reveal this about the clock tower yeah i mean which came first the storyline or the clock tower it feels like they just had to write that in at some point because everybody was so confused why does she have this bizarre title card yeah i mean i didn't really think that much about it but i know you've brought it up so tony solved the mystery anyway this is 
chock a block full of drama. This, this episode, episode was a real barn burner. So I say we just take a break and then we get right into discussing this week's episode, The Threat. Obviously, the way this episode ends pretty much sums up the entire point of this episode, for me at least. And that's, this is sort of like Alexis's gambit. And she just watches all of her plots unravel and blow up in her face, which has happened before, but I don't think we've seen it so fantastically and delightfully perfect as we have in this episode. Delightfully, she was almost strangled to death. I, but it's so dramatic and wonderful. And, and you know, <laughs> she gets to play the poor besotten woman you know just as she does in the lily pond and that's what alexis does like she gets herself into trouble and then she pretends like she's the damsel in distress and it's like come on this who buys that story but okay so you've got obviously the biggest one is the backfire of her plot with neil mcvain uh she gets him you know pretty much uh disbarred from congress or whatever and so of course he's coming for her then you have like you know like more of a minor plot but it also does not work out in her favor in this episode where she's trying to spin her relationship with mark jennings to fallon and fallon's not buying any of it of course and you know so it just ends up just pissing her off more uh, because you know again alexis is doubling down on her lies and fallon's like that's bs and yeah she's already been down that road so she uh she cuts ties pretty quickly right then you have like of course like i I think what is so obvious about this episode it's it's sort of one of the only things people remember about this show if they've never even seen it before is the throwdown with crystal which of course ends just like just terribly for for arguably more for alexis i don't i don't i think I don't know. Does Crystal come out as the winner in that one? I think she does, right? Oh, I would say it was a draw. She she looks... Well, she has a classier exit, so I don't know, but maybe that's debatable. She did lose an earring. Where's Mrs. Carrington? I lost a pearl and diamond earring in the lily pond yesterday, and I want her to give you the authorization to have it drained immediately. Sort of the thing that undercuts it all is the one thing that works out for Alexis in this episode is how she blackmails Joseph to drain the pond, but... That's like sort of a Pyrrhic victory, right? Like that's the only thing that worked for her in this whole episode. That's like small potatoes compared to how much she loses with everything else. Yeah, and so. we don't even really see that come to fruition. So I don't even know. If yeah, I would that, count that may that. not have even happened. Yeah, yeah. But but she put Joseph in a in a spot where he had to like sort of acquiesce. So I, I consider that a win for her. But everything else that she's plotting in this episode just totally blows up in her face. She's she's just a nothing but backfires. Well, let's talk about this lily pond fight because I didn't even realize that that happened in the third season. Obviously, this is one of those moments that even people who have no idea what dynasty is about Mm -hmm. know about Linda Evans and Joan Collins fighting in a lily pond. So to me, is this, is this, fight number two or did was there a th- i know the, there was the one in the in the artist's studio right so the, yeah this is the second this is number two physical okay. altercation i feel like i need like a, a lady with big hair in a two-piece string bikini and pumps like with the poster board that says round two well we already have two women dripping so i don't think we need well, another woman gorgeous ladies of cat fighting or <laughs> well blake even says after the end of it that they look like female mud wrestlers which <laughs> i thought was very bitchy thing to well, say. Well, I would hope that he wouldn't say that they look like male mud wrestlers, but, but I don't was, know what that even means. It didn't seem like anything was necessarily building up to this point to me. Well, Alexis was inside, and as you kind of pointed out with your outline, the 
the affair with Mark Jennings blew up in her face because Fallon kind of figured it out. And to Fallon's credit, she doesn't care if she was catfishing her, if it was real or whatever, because Mark basically said in so many words that he did have sex with her mother, and that was enough for Fallon to peace out and quit calling mother mother and calling her Alexis again in the library. And then, you know, after pouring herself a drink, Alexis looks out that magical window. No matter what you want to see... There's nothing good out that window. <laughs> it's either the Garden of Eden, the Lily Pond of Doom. Oh, but it's, it's so deceptive. always something. <laughs> but yeah, Crystal's just out there lounging and she confronts her. And Crystal really is the one that throws the first punch. I mean, she throws the first shove and then she does throw a punch that's terribly done. It's all because Alexis brings up the baby leaving, Stephen's baby leaving that she wanted to adopt. And then she brings up the miscarriage. Which is Alexis's fault, as we all know, because she shot that damn shotgun and made Alexis or made well, Crystal fall it, off the horse. So she, this she sends calls Crystal her, into a rage. She calls her like one of the best lines of this this episode, uh, an empty armed Madonna. Mm-hmm. Get out of here, Alexis. Get off your property. <laughs> but it isn't really your property, is it, Mrs. Jennings? Get out. I know what's wrong with you. The empty-armed Madonna, mourning the baby that she couldn't have and the baby that she almost got to adopt. Gone now. That is it, isn't it? Oh, you miserable bitch! Alexis, for all of her problems, she's always going to be more interesting to me because, you know, as we learned from Dante's Inferno, nobody cares what happens in paradise. I don't know. I'm we like, like the devil. The devil's fun. Yeah. Well, you can hail Satan all you want. I'm really on Team Crystal right now because she is finally realizing that Blake is just using her and she it's not a 50-50 relationship between the two of them. He won't listen to her. She's trying to bring him and Steven together and she really is being the most rational one under that whole damn mansion. And yet he calls her irrational. Mm-hmm. Because why? She's a woman? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is just men controlling women's thoughts. You exactly. Know, pretty basic stuff. So she's already low from that and then you got Alexis, a.k.a. the devil in your eyes, coming in and, and berating her from for being barren well okay so i think being barren is like that's sort of the thing all of these issues sort of center on at least for crystal and how we wind up catfighting in the lily pond in the first place i love this theme that's really well developed in the first act where there's references to equestrianism and fallon talking about riding horses and how her little boy is going to grow up to ride a horse. And then they're in the, the nursery a minute later. Crystal and Steven are sort of talking about this rocking horse. And so there's a sort of like tie-in between children and babies and the equestrian theme. And of course, it's all like sort of saying it without saying it, which is, you know, Crystal aborted her, her child as a result of horse riding accident, right? So this is all like, and of course, it all is summed up with like, crystal crying empty armed in the nursery you know another one of crystal's cries like which i just love it just makes me titter with glee well i get it and i think alexis deserved it not only for her comments and me crystal miscarry a few years ago for also just being so careless to have her back to the lily pond so when she says all of these jabs at crystal all she has to do is call her a miserable bitch and give her a a nice shove now she didn't do such a great job because she also went into the pond i think she could have just been 
firm-footed and pushed Alexis I mean, if you in, really want but... to play-by-play this, like, did she intend to do that? Did she just not know how to push somebody into a pool without going in with them? You know, so it, the more interesting thought is that she intended to do that. So she wanted to have a Royal Rumble. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if we do want to do a play-by-play, if this is the WWE, I mean, the ring itself... It's been well noted and documented because this is one of the most famous scenes from the show that the lily pond was actually super duper shallow and seeing it on, you know, 4K DVD on our television. Yeah, they're like on their knees in there. You can yeah. you can see they're on their knees. You can see that Alexis's stunt double comes in um, for a couple of the altercations. I think it's Linda the whole time. And Linda has said in numerous interviews over the years, from Big Valley on, she always liked doing her own stunts and thought it was fun. And she really gives it a go. Although that punch that she lands on Alexis's... Is- it's it's pretty classic, like bad early '80s television production, like with the cheesy punch sound effect yeah. in the background. But you were just saying a minute ago, Alexis is stunt double. So do you think Alexis like travels with a stunt double, or you meant Jones stunt double? No, I mean Jones stunt that's double. That's pretty baller. Like you know, if you're a billionaireess, I guess you might have a. Stunt well, maybe double. in later seasons, since they oh, since uh, this starts, uh, you just reminded me there is something later later season that involves what you could call a an in-show stunt double for a character but eh, okay well, we, we won't, won't talk about anything. that one of the things i really loved about the lily pond fight is seeing it from different angles because i think what gets played all the time is them actually lunging in and them hitting each other but there's that one frame where Blake is driving by, which I didn't even know Blake was part of this. He comes and breaks it all up. But there's this one shot that's like from far away. And I know I think the it's dis- almost like a Maxfield Parish painting. Like it's just elegantly framed by the urns gorgeously on the gate framed and the grass yeah. in the gardens and, and with some distance there they are you know it's like a monet <laughs> so the fight actually looks better when they're farther right. away and you don't see that they're not actually touching each other or that it's stunt doubles or whatever but yeah i really loved that shot and that's one that i don't think you see very often but and then well, for me it's it's all about two women in glamour gowns sopping wet and ripping jewelry off and you know pulling their teased hair and it's just you know it's obviously it's it's high camp i mean that you can't really look at it any other way anymore no the whole episode is so campy i mean i really think this is like the crescendo i think you've been talking about it a lot that the show's getting campier and campier but clearly they have leaned into it on all fronts on this episode yeah i think this is a really good example of in the moment trying to be campy like, they knew what they were doing. They, this is beyond sensationalism. This is like, we're going to have two women in, you know, full dress go in the pool and wrestle. I, there's that. There's no, that doesn't, there's no other way to paint that. I mean, it is what it sounds like. Well, I don't even mean just that. I mean, uh, well, let's shift and talk a little bit about Steven because he's got a lot going on in this episode. There's another yeah, it's weird gay person Steven, in Denver. Steven, like, kind, kind of has his whole other separate world going on right now that has nothing to do with all of alexis's nonsense yeah well luckily the writers and directors spare us another steven and blake arguing scene i think they filmed one and they allude to them talking in this episode but we don't have to sit through it instead we get steven and then his divorce lawyer chris who's back having brunch at La Mirage. but isn't this just like the old cliche of like screwing your divorce lawyer well i don't 
think they were screwing. I think they were just having a lovely brunch together. And did you see that brunch? It was immaculate. There was prime rib. There was like a croquembouche. They even did that thing where they put like the lettuce on the bottom of all the plates at the buffet. I mean, you... Oh, that's such a 70s, 80s touch. Like, that's one of those, like, it's out of context now, so it might look fancy to you, but it's just cheesy, really. When I'm getting a reservation. Does anybody eat that piece of lettuce? I mean, come on. I eat the piece of lettuce and I'll have the celery and the Bloody Marys that they're serving. This is like how my granny would serve tuna salad and a big ball on top of a piece of lettuce in a bowl. It's the same. I don't know. It's like putting a piece of lettuce under something like makes it that much more. I don't know. Well, you have to have accessories, right? But anyway, I thought the brunch was like I said, this whole episode is so campy, even right down to what they're eating. But yes, Chris comes out to Steven. I left the East and came out to Denver to start fresh. But life in the closet is life in the closet, no matter what the map says. Are you surprised? I don't know. I don't look for these things. I didn't really see this coming, but it's kind of nice that there's, you know, two gay men. Well, can two grown men go to brunch without later being assigned as gay in the storyline no i think that's definitely one of the rules of especially when there's lettuce being served under everything i feel like that's just you know a gay subterfuge yeah i mean when you've got a croquembouche over your shoulder like steven does in that scene like clearly this is going to lead to um homosexual liaisons is a croquembouche but, a phallic symbol yeah okay i just wanted to confirm that back at steven's new place he's all moved in well kind of moved in he still has some boxes but chris comes over and presents him with dry sherry so i guess if you're going to come out to somebody you give him a nice bottle of dry yeah sherry. what could be more gay than giving somebody a bottle of dry sherry well i get he was kind of laying the foundation like before he actually said i'm gay steven he kind of already did say i'm gay steven with the wrapped bottle mm-hmm. of dry sherry so steven didn't seem too surprised so either he's got really good gaydar or the dry sherry just tipped him off you know i like that he mentioned that he would have attached a card but he didn't but it would have said i'm gay thank you for it. being a friend <laughs> what <laughs> I don't well, think Golden again, Girls was on yet. No, I know. I, of course it wasn't. But I think it actually premiered a year and a half after this. But but that's all also sort of a retroactively gay reference. So well, I and like what that. I thought was interesting that they didn't immediately start like making out or talking about how they were going to make love since I don't think okay. they can say sex well, on this Well, this is show. what I was about to say a minute ago because you were like questioning uh, the validity of what I said about them perhaps maybe sleeping together. I don't know that I don't think they really did here, but they keep calling each other friends and you know, you're you're going to be my new friend or whatever. And I always felt like at least back then that was like sort of, you know, uh, lingo. You know, it was like saying like my roommate, my, my, my friend, my friend of Dorothy. Right. It's like we know what you really mean when you say that. Do you so, remember when we went on a cruise and they said oh, they on the programming there was like yeah, friends a, of Dorothy friends of Dorothy meeting yeah meeting at Tuesday at 1130. <laughs> we didn't know what that meant. I didn't know if that was like Alcoholics Anonymous if that was like B. Arthur yes yeah, Dorothy's Bornack yeah Dorothy I, Hamill was it Ice Skaters I don't know I was I was yeah. kind of intrigued and excited but yeah I guess it's an old school term for gay 
I'm just constantly amazed that Steven continues down this gay path because I thought with the recasting that 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 was going to be uh, wiped from the memory bank. Well, it's interesting because between the two of them, Chris like says that I left the East to come out West, you know, which interesting usage of come out. But then, of course, he follows that up by saying that he has to still live in the closet. Either way, it's still life in the closet. But then, of course, he says, I admire your courage. But like, but for Steven, though, it's like, is it that courageous? I think Steven is in some sense lucky because he's a, you know, he's got a rich family and he sort of had a charmed upbringing. So maybe for him, it is a lot easier. It's not necessarily courageous. I don't know. I mean, this is a problematic idea, you know, but I, I have to think that it's easier for Steven to be gay because he's got family money to fall back on and he doesn't have to answer to people. Yeah, but he doesn't like using his family money. And also he's bisexual. So, you know, he's not totally gay like his lawyer. Well, I think we need to quit putting labels on Steven. I, you know, even, even uh, Steven said, even Steven, yikes, something to, to the effect of like, he wasn't like looking to sleep around like when they were having that conversation over Sherry. So it was interesting that he was sort of even denying just any sexual activity, period. Yeah, well, and I think right now he's just focused on living on his own at the El Royale, which is a famous building in LA that constantly is in May West had an apartment there. Yeah, so he's living there. He's got his own house nurse and little Danny is all to himself. So I don't think he's really looking for love right now. But I don't know. We'll see. Maybe him and Chris will have a connection since they're apparently the only two members of the queer community in in Denver. But yeah, I mean, other things that were super camp in this episode was at the beginning when Adam and Alexis are having breakfast together. Mm. I mean... Their meals together are always so fucking fabulous. I wish we ate like that every morning. She even says that she had chocolate croissants flown chocolate in. Chocolate croissants <laughs> flown in from Paris. And I'm just thinking they would be stale by the time they get off the plane, even if they're on like Not a private Not if they were flown jet. in on a Concorde straight to her <laughs> landing pad on the roof of her penthouse. It makes no sense. I mean, if you're going to like boast about your croissants, like wouldn't you have like a French chef in Denver make them but here's fresh the thing, for it's you not really... so they're buttery and... It's not boasting. Flaky. It's not boasting. This is just how, this is just how Alexis talks. She doesn't even know how ridiculous she is. <laughs> but yeah, Adam is not too happy with the whole Neil McVeigh plot. He sees that it's uh, way too obvious. So he kind of called out. He kind of foreshadowed. I think that it was going to blow up in her face or get wrapped around her neck, which is exactly what happened. Meanwhile, nobody to this day has figured out that he painted the executive office with poisonous teal paint. So maybe Adam's the smartest one here because his schemes haven't necessarily right, but come he, back to haunt him. He has a weakness too, as revealed in his little flashback. And, you know, I, I guess I lied. I said to Richard or Robert Simmons would not be coming back and wait richard is. simmons is going to be in this that show? wouldn't that have been interesting richard simmons as the doctor yeah help me work off that chocolate croissant by mm. sweating to the oldies yeah yeah the old timey this is such a contrived plot where adam is at la mirage talking to fallon and then when <laughs> the, story writing gets tough just bring back an old character right the staff yeah, member comes in and is like oh we're having a medical conference and oh yeah the old timey doctor that helped adam through his his drug overdose or whatever is coming back so 
you know, this is a, an instance where... I'd say it's tiresome, but it's actually just... Everything else is so campy in this episode. Uh, this is just adding to it. And so I'm I'm there for it. Yeah, sure. Why not? Bring on the old-timey doctor. It's, it's been and, that kind and, of episode. And Adam's, yeah. uh, Adam's drug scandal. I mean, I think it's one of those instances where the seed was planted so many episodes ago. So we've got to have the like doodly-doo, doodly-doo flashback to remind everybody. And I guess in next week's episode, the, the season finale finale maybe his his um drug abuse will have something to do with what's happening or maybe it won't maybe this is just going to be a dropped thread it's entirely possible every time i see one of those baby nurses i think about christine that the crazy nurse that was always giving everybody side eye <laughs> that just yeah. went away never to be seen again or spoken of the characters don't even remember her but we didn't talk about the best moment to me the i don't you can have your lily pond fight it's nice and all but we've seen it what we didn't talk about is the black cigarette and the egg yolk that to me is the <laughs> maybe one of the highest camp moments of the entire production of this show yeah joan has really great motor skills because she put that cigarette out right in the middle of the egg yolk x marks the spot yeah <laughs> it, i mean i i don't there's not i don't know what else you can say other than just to admire the moment and if you're not like shrieking with glee as she does this, like you're watching the show for the wrong reasons. <laughs> yeah. That was when I knew that we were in for a real wild episode. <laughs> when... Right, because this was only like the first part of Act Two. Like we hadn't even gotten to the last stuff. Like, yeah, I didn't even know the Lily unhinged. Pond was coming. <laughs> I mean, you know, they, they do this like excellent job with Crystal's uh, infertility or Crystal being the empty armed madonna at the beginning in the nursery um and by the way did you notice that she and and blake were all like severely dressed in pink and blue so much like nursery dressing and fertility worship like going on with the the pinks and blues in the first act well and jeff was wearing a pur purple suit too there was a lot of color in this episode no there was a lot of color but like they were specifically pink and blue in this first act that was all centered around crystal losing her baby and steven having a baby and then suddenly we go to kirby and jeff very boring i don't know what these two are up to this is the most well they're clearly having sex because she's pregnant now. i guess but like, oh excuse me making love so is that's being suggested by what like jeff is like detailing her shoulder with his wilted lips you know or tickling her with like her own hair the whole thing is just like it's the most disinterested romance well i've I, ever seen these and two, it just keeps going on i don't mind they wanted to separately just but just together stop. they have no chemistry and I've, I'm wondering, you know, now they do like chemistry reads, like if somebody's auditioning for a film, they'll, they'll have people audition together to see if they have chemistry. Did they have that in 1984 or three or whatever year we're on? Yeah, here? they, they did. They've been doing that since well, then the how, beginning of film. Then how me. did this happen? Because these two have no chemistry together. Oh, don't forget you have that appointment this morning with Dr. Winfield. Hmm. I feel fine. I feel terrific. I'm going to cancel it. I'm going to cancel nothing. It's Dr. Winfield. Or what? My handsome prince will never make love to me again. Well, that's a thought. I am so flaccid because every time that they're she's on the supposed to be the ingenue that has a heart of gold and comes from nothing, and he's supposed to be the yuppie savior. You know, I don't know. I guess may, were people into that idea back then, or was this just like 
they were trying to play to the audience but really missing the mark i don't know but it doesn't play well today and Mm-mm. like frankly she's kirby and i just keep thinking of a, of the vacuum cleaner like that and that's what she is she's got like all of the presence of you know a, a household industrial item well she hoovered up jeff and now she's already inseminated and put her in reverse and she blows and they've only been married for like what two or three episodes so i don't know what is in jeff's diet but he's a, a very fertile gentleman but <laughs> my favorite part of this is oh you're gonna say what i was saying yeah go ahead when she after she reveals (laughs) that she's pregnant she's like no i need to get back to shopping (laughs) (laughs) i mean what could be more 80s than having an ailment and like i must go shopping because that will solve my my problem right oh i just found out i got pregnant now let me go to rodeo drive (laughs) or whatever the denver equivalent is of rodeo drive jensen's and pick out a pendant for my cleavage (laughs) (sighs) anyway so i guess we're getting another baby the only interesting thing is that leads to uh what you were talking about kirby bringing up her mom to joseph and then joseph being very secretive about it so now we've got some other little mystery going on and alexis knows and lords that over him and like you said at the beginning it's really the only thing where she doesn't get her comeuppance in this episode well i think that's sort of the magic of alexis is she usually has power and sometimes it's exercised for more than just draining the pond for everyone she gets she misses two or three and so you can never really consider her like you know the all-powerful you know character in this you know in the show and yet i still love her more than than any anybody else other than maybe claudia i mean but we we don't have to talk about claudia because she's not in this episode but on the other hand you have crystal who all she does is weep in the nursery weep at la mirage i i mean you can talk about crystal having thoughts and and trying to take actions but again she's not she wants to, but then she's not very good at it. And she never seems to be able to execute a plan. The The, the most ex- executive thing she's ever done is another one of her fake walkouts. Oh, I'm going to leave again. Like, what is this? The third time? I don't know how many times she's left. But this time she's leaving to go to La Mirage, which, as we all know, is my favorite purgatorial setting for, you know, people to get sidelined in this show for a few episodes, if not the rest of their characterhood. The other thing I liked about Kirby is that when she was coming down after her and Jeff were threatening to withhold sex from each other, um, she saw Fallon and Jeff and and their baby having little Blake having like a little kissy kiss moment. And there was like a gong. Did you hear the gong when Kirby was like super shocked? It was like when uh, RuPaul's Drag Race where they have like the shade rattle, yeah, you know, right, but yeah. now, so I'm hoping this carries on in other dynasty well, episodes okay. where when somebody sees something like shocking that jars them, there's like a gong noise. Well, they definitely were in this season specifically dialing up the expenditure on music production yeah i mean they, Steven, they rewrote a lot of the themes they took like alexis's you know doom theme that's always like when they show her penthouse from the exterior mm-hmm. they they like they rewrote a whole sort of re-envisioning of that theme for this specific episode i had never heard that version before yeah um and yeah and to your point like that kind of stuff like so they were really dialing up the product they, i mean they were just going for sweeping drama as well yeah anywhere they could get and it. that's what gives it that soapy cheese 
easy campy feeling too is is the music and it even seems like the scenes are going a little faster too like in this episode watching it i was like wow is this a two is this like a two hour long episode is this a very special episode because there were so many scenes yeah but i think that's partly because this is the penultimate episode of season three so we're sort of wrapping up a lot of these storylines or things that have been planted are are concluding so it really feels like we're going into like a really exciting moment with the third season i think they've got something very special planned having never watched it before i think it's pretty satisfying from end to beginning you've you've had this this through line the whole episode of neil mcvain running around on an all-day bender you know because he's been ousted from congress and uh i, I even like how in the beginning blake's like you know he's in blake's office and blake asks him to have some coffee and instead of going for the coffee station he goes over to the bar and pours some scotch uh here we are later that well evening. i also like how marsha the worst secretary in the history oh. of secretary smells his breath and kind of gives blake a, a dirty look like oh god this guy's sauce marsha is so full of hot takes and eye rolls i love marsha yeah she's kind she kind of won me over but i thought and she was really terrible fact, before but sidebar uh, you remember toward the end where blake and crystal are having that annoying conversation at la mirage and blake's talking about how he knew crystal was going to be the one when she walked in as his new secretary that day and i'm thinking well what if crystal wasn't there and what if marsha was the one that came in and like what if this whole show were marsha and blake were marsha 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 no 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 marsha i think is uh, too old for blake well i mean marsha is just a, a spit polish school marm but i think that would have been much more interesting than crystal and all of her in, inactivity and if only instead of the colbys they would have had a spinoff called marcia and you could have learned more about her and her life well i guess there's a fan fiction for anything so well i'll be writing fanfic about alexis's new secretary bernard mm, hubba hubba you know i i wanted to like <laughs> hubba hubba but he's you know he's classically decent looking and i can see why she hired him for the stable yeah but I, I love that she says your first week was good you know like well, what does that mean i mean what is alexis and bernard really been up to for a week it means she's moved on from mark jennings and whatever that first male secretary's name was oh, she doesn't even refer Michael. to him as mark anymore he's just a tennis bum in her eyes <laughs> the tennis bum but yeah no i uh yeah bernard i thought maybe he was like a football player or something but i guess he was just an actor who was in in a lot of stuff like star trek and some that movie hunk that we watched <laughs> <laughs> that's why you made me watch that stupid movie no i made you watch it because i thought it would be like mannequin nothing could be like mannequin what are you talking about anyway i'm excited for the season finale i think um neil mcvain is not done yet because he's out for blood and um yeah i'm interested to see if steven and uh chris share more than a bottle of dry sherry well the only thing the only final thing i would say about neil mcvain other than his all-day bender is his great looking gray uh, what is this weird blue hair dye and like he even like moves his brow in a weird way that suggests perhaps he's wearing a toupee I, the, the, they did not do this poor actor justice uh, because he looks ridiculous but maybe that's what they were going for because of the whole all day drinking thing I don't know well I they guess. also didn't do him justice because why do we care about him he's not really involved in anybody's life except for being this MacGuffin to make things happen yeah, in DC he, he really is a character that is thrust upon us and and like I yeah I'm with you I don't really care either I was really hoping he was gone after whatever last storyline he was involved with 
it's kind of the same way as the Mark Jennings character. Like Mark Jennings kind of just functions as a thing and not as a person. But Jeffrey Scott is so damn charismatic that it doesn't matter. And plus, we do have a backstory with him and Crystal. So there's there's more to it. But that's what I'm saying here. about it. like, OK, yeah, you're right. He's a little more dimensional than I suppose Neil McVeigh is. But but again, he is. He just serves as a function for Crystal's illegitimate marriage to Blake and this thing between Fallon and Alexis. <laughs> Honey, so, I think the function that he serves is to service all of the women on this show because he's been with all of them, except for Kirby, I think. But who knows? Maybe next season. Well, you know, I have a strict no tie policy at the tennis courts. Now it's time for the part of the episode where we talk about our looks of the week. Kyler, what what looks were you feeling? Well, okay, you could go two directions on this. I'm I'm going to go with the first direction, which is I love, love, love Joan and the dark green. You know, I don't know if that's ultra suede or if it's like actual suede uh, dress that sh- sort of shows up at the end of Act Three and through the remaining you know part of the show the one where she's strangled yes the one in which she's strangled but she also shows up in the kitchen to you know sort of strong arm joseph about you know draining the lily pond so i what i really love green it looks like purple or blue everything are you colorblind no that is that is dark forest green if i ever saw it smacked across my face so the best part is it's accessorized with a matching sort of like cleavage cozy i don't know if that's like a, a like a glamour bib or what that is i know i was but- like honey haven't you heard we don't have to wear the face masks anymore take it well, off well you know and and she's sort of like first she re- refers to it as like well i'm trying to prevent a cold as she clutches it so it's like oh by by warming your your neck area and your <laughs> cleavage you're not going to get a cold maybe but she then, dipped, dipped it in um what's that stuff called Mott's apple juice vakes vipo yeah. rub maybe she dipped or, it in vakes vakes vipo rub yeah possibly i don't think so and then but then i love that at the end when uh, neil is strangling her it may be that that mystical cloth that protects her from truly being strangled oh so, so you think I, there's I, some I, medicinal value yeah, I I kind of love how her sort of like deceptive, I I don't know, contrived fashion in some sense maybe saves the day. And Alexis gets to, you know, go on to, you know, more dastardly deeds in future episodes. So the other direction you could take, I suppose, like, again, I already mentioned it, like women in glamour gowns, like wet in the pool. And, you know, and I love Alexis, like one shoe on and one shoe off. And, uh, you know, she flings her spectator pump into the bushes as she storms off from Blake. And so, you know, there, there's something there, but it's not so much the clothes per se. It's more the context and the, you know, the, the humidity and the dampness of it all. Well, if it's a battle between these two women, Crystal and Alexis, not physically, but fashion, I have to give it to Crystal because here Alexis is just wearing another black and white. We've seen her wear this a gazillion times i mean it looks great that swirly pattern is fun but i'm sorry it's an abstract rose print oh okay every rose has its thorn and the thorn in this case is crystal and oh shut up rose blue slinky satin silky number with the slit up the side (laughs) i didn't want to say the r word 
uh yeah she's got that slit off the side with her leg out and you know i think that sexy leg is really what drove crystal to go walk out to the lily pond and confront her because she's like oh thinks she's gonna be the one showing some skin here it's an iconic look for an iconic scene unfortunately she didn't accessorize it with a hat or a bag so she didn't have any yeah, things to beat Alexis. It's, it's very under accessorized. Um <laughs> but I think there's a tie in this scene specifically with looks because there's nothing like women with ruined hair and makeup looks. Yeah, well and Rayon looks much better dry than it does wet. Do not machine wash or lily pond wash. Yeah, that's that's printed on my vagina. <laughs> Well, that's it for this installment of Dynasty As They Want to Be. Kyler, thank you so much for joining me. Good night, you all. Y'all, y'all, y'all. <laughs> if y'all want to follow along on our journey, please give us a like on social media and subscribe and follow. We're on Instagram, Twitter, all the places at Nasty Podcast. That's N A S T Y Podcast. Join us next time where we discuss the third season finale, The Cabin. I am the Earth Mother and you are all flops. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer after for years to come try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee plus get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details